All right, so we're going to reflect a bit on the life of David this morning. We're going to start by looking together at a, a classic psalm. Um, you, you might have it memorized. It's very familiar to many of us. It's Psalm 23. So I want to open by reading it um, just so it's fresh on our minds this morning. And then we'll comment about all six verses, but really we're going to be spending the majority of our time kind of looking at verses four through six and what they're talking about together this morning. So let's just start by reading this together. Psalm 23, verse 1. This is a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This passage has brought comfort to people for centuries, for a long time. I just want to reflect on some, some interesting things here. So first of all, if you pay attention to, to how David is talking through this psalm, it changes. It changes a couple of times. When he opens the psalm, he's reflecting on who God is. The Lord is my shepherd. He makes me lie down. Do you hear how he's not, it's, he's not talking directly to God yet? He's just reflecting upon who he is. It's like he's really speaking to himself. Here's who God is. This is what he's like. He is a God who protects and comforts and restores. He's reflecting on the things that we talked about last Sunday that Jesus saw about his father. Jesus saw how good his father was and he wanted to be around him. And in every area, every facet, every phase of his life, he spent time with his father, experiencing what David is describing here. So David starts by reflecting on who God is, and those truths are the basis. They're the foundation for a trusting relationship. Did y'all catch that? They're the basis or the foundation for a trusting relationship. One of the the first things we've got to be able to do is no matter the season we are in life, we've got to be able to remember and hold on to the truth, capital T. There's there's all kinds of small t truth in my life. (laughs) There's, There's plenty of moments where the truth is life's hard right now where the truth is I'm in a tough situation and I'm not even sure what to do about it or I know exactly what to do about it and I'm terrified of the fallout, of the consequences of where this is going to go. That's truth. That's reality. But in every circumstance in life, there is a larger truth that sits over the top of that and that is the reality of who God is and what he is up to in our life. And so David starts out, you know, the first half of this psalm, it doesn't even sound like anything's wrong. Think about it, it just sounds great. This is wonderful. 
I'm next to still water and a, a calm, beautiful scenery of green grass, and I'm just being restored and refreshed. And it just sounds like one of those, you know, beautiful spring days where you just want to be outside and it just feels good. The sun is finally out after a long winter. Maybe I shouldn't use that analogy right before we have our long winter, but you know that feeling. It just feels so good. That's not the season David is in. (laughs) He's in the valley but he's reflecting on bigger truth because in the valley, he needs to be reminded of the reality of who God is, that God is a God who restores. And so he's reminding himself of that. Now, based on that truth that he reflects on and reminds himself of, the conversation starts in verse four. So God, I believe and remember and reflect on all of this about you now Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, here's where I am right now. It's hard. It's difficult. It's so difficult that I'm using terminology like death to describe it. Maybe I'm facing very real death, or maybe something important to me is dying. Maybe I'm losing something that I valued greatly. And so, God, I am in the midst of that situation. So what does he say he'll do? I will fear no evil. The only reason you would ever tell yourself or talk to God about not fearing evil is because you're struggling with some fear of something that's evil. (laughs) I'm in the scary situation. And so, God, I'm having to choose. I'm having to purpose to say, God, help me not fear this. I'm not going to fear this. How am I not going to fear it? Why am I not going to be afraid? Because I'm big and I'm tough and I can face anything. And No, that's not what he says. Why is he able to say, I'll not fear? For you are with me. The first thing he says when he's addressing God is, you're with me. Everything else is based on that reality. God, you are with me. Gee, I wonder why somebody in a valley season would need to reflect on the fact that God's with them. Well, because if David's anything like me, when I've been in valley seasons in my life, I have felt exactly the opposite. Like he's not with me. Like I'm alone. How could he let me go through this? Or or maybe even he's punishing me and that's why I'm in this which makes him still feel very distant. But David says, no, God, you are with me. And then, I mean, this is, if we actually think about the words he's saying here next, they're kind of unbelievable. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. What's he saying? A rod and a staff, if you're a sheep, absolutely is for your protection. So he's, he's reflecting on the fact that even though he's in this hard situation, that God is right there with him as his shepherd and that God is going to protect him. He's going to fight for him. He's reflecting on that. That's what a rod and a staff does. You know what else a rod and a staff might do for a sheep that's wandering in a valley maybe it shouldn't be in? (laughs) It brings some correction. David is able to look at the Lord and see him present in his life in a valley situation and say, 
God, I am comforted by the fact that you will fight for me. So I'm comforted by your protection. And God, I'm also comforted by your correction. That if I've gotten off track, if I've dug myself into a hole, if I got myself into this mess, that you are with me in the mess and you love me enough to redirect me. He finds comfort in God's correction. I love that. And then he goes on to describe like, in this scenario, God, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. So if I'm in a valley where I'm actually being, I'm being attacked, something's being done to me, God, even in the middle of that, you prepare a table for me. You provide for me, even in the hardest situation. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. So verses one through three, he reflects on who God is. Verses four and five, he begins talking to the Lord directly. God, you're with me in this difficult valley that I'm in. And I take comfort from the fact that you're with me. And so, Lord, if this is a mess I've gotten myself in, I'm comforted by the fact that you haven't rejected me, kicked me out. You're not sitting back with your arms crossed, wagging your finger, disappointed with me, but you're going to climb right into the mess with me and you're going to redirect me and get me out of it. That's a truth we should be able to hold on to. And I'm also thankful that if I'm in a valley that I didn't ask for, and I didn't do anything to get myself in this situation, and I've got enemies who are surrounding me, literal people who are causing problems in my life, or just circumstances. I, I am surrounded by my enemies. Even in that, Lord, you will protect me and provide for me. And so he talks to God about that truth and invites him near and remembers that he is near. And then I love this verse six, he, he shifts gears again. He's back into reflecting mode. But I love this. What we see in verse six is he's assured. After, after acknowledging who God is, inviting him into that valley season, he now is anchored in assurance to say, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What is he assured of? He's assured of God's goodness. So if he's in need of protection and provision, God's going to show up with it. That's what that word goodness is. That word goodness, it could be um, used in several ways. It can describe something that is useful or profitable. It could describe abundance things being plentiful. I've got, I've got what I need. It also describes kindness and benevolence. God's kindness, his benevolence, his abundance. He provides what is useful and profitable. It even describes a general state of well-being or happiness. God, I'm assured that goodness is going to follow me through my life, even in situations like this. You're enough and you have what I need. But he doesn't say just goodness. He also says, I'm assured that your mercy will follow me. So if that rod of correction needs to come and get me back on track, what I'm assured of that will be there is the mercy of God to redeem and heal and restore. He'll, he'll forgive me. He'll give me a fresh start. 
He'll put me back on firm footing. And then he, he wraps the whole thing up. And guys, this, this can be so distant to us as believers. But we are called over and over and over again, Old and New Testament alike, to reflect on the eternal nature of God and the hope and assurance of heaven. We're called to reflect on that. There are saints who, if you were looking at the course of their life, you would not describe it as having valley seasons. You would just say they lived in the valley. It wasn't that long ago we were reflecting on um, Hebrews chapter 11, where, where people of God lived lives of persecution and difficulty and torment. Their life was that. And yet they experienced the presence and goodness of God in their life. And, and they lived in the assurance uh, that he had them for all of eternity. That it was going to be all right. That there was ultimate redemption. That they were going to dwell in God's house forever. I know that feels like it's not tangible to us, like we can't get our fingers on it. But we're facing those dark hours, those hard seasons. When you're in it, it can feel like eternity. You've been in one of those seasons where it just feels like there's no escape. When's this going to be over? But God says that is not the final word. That's not the final story. It will not last forever. You're my son, you're my daughter, and you're going to dwell with me forever in my presence. In your dad's house, it's a good house. It's so big that the rooms in his house are like mansions. <laughs> He's there, going before us, preparing a place for us. So how can David write about these things? Because they were real in his life. We're going to look at two stories from David's life. These are not the only two examples of how we could find ourselves in a valley season, but, but they are two examples of being in a valley season. And so the first one we're going to look at is where David can relate to this idea of, of being stuck in a hard season that he didn't ask for. There is a literal enemy trying to kill him, trying to take his life. He's been a good, faithful dude. He's faithfully served the king of the day, King Saul. He's served in his house. He's fought and faced Goliath to help set his people free. He's faithfully served as a, as a captain in Saul's army. He respects Saul. He serves Saul through no fault of his own. Saul has developed a mentality of jealousy and anger and hatred towards David. He's threatened by David. And so Saul over and over again pursues him. So you can, you can get this whole picture, this whole overview of their relationship in 1 Samuel chapter 16 through 26. You can kind of read that and get a real sense of this. Some things you'll see is what I described. He's in Saul's service. He defeats Goliath. We see Saul's jealousy and ongoing plots. In chapters 18 and 20, two different occasions, he, while David is in his house, he tries to kill him by throwing a spear at him. And David has to evade it. He also tries to get some of David's closest, um, more than friends even, in on it. He goes to his son Jonathan, who's best friends with David, and tries to get Jonathan to help him catch David. 
He uses his daughter who's married to David. So David's now his son-in-law several chapters into this story. And he tries to get his own daughter to give up her husband so he can kill David. He's using David's own family and friends against him. And so things get so bad that David has to basically go into hiding. And he's moving from place to place in the wilderness, avoiding Saul hunting down his life. I would say that qualifies as a valley season. Anybody in some agreement with that? This is as difficult as it gets. Two different times in the middle of this season of his life, David has the opportunity to take matters into his own hands and fix it. Two different times, his enemy is right at his feet and David has every opportunity to handle it himself and watch how he handles these. The first is found in in 1 Samuel chapter 24. Um, Saul is described as being on the hunt for David and they come across the cave and Saul leaves his men outside of the cave and he goes into the cave to relieve himself. That's Bible. (laughs) He's looking for a, a quiet, quiet place out in the wilderness to do his business. And so he sneaks into the cave to relieve himself and what he doesn't realize is David and his men are hiding in the very back part of this cave And suddenly, Saul is literally caught with his pants down. And David, who he's being hunted, has every opportunity to go, this is it. I can take him out. I can capture him. I can end this. And so what ends up happening is that David instead sneaks up behind him and he cuts the corner off of Saul's like robe or his his cape. He cuts the corner off and takes it and retreats back into the cave. David's such a good guy, he even starts feeling guilty about cutting the corner off of his robe. But he refuses to take his life. And so Saul leaves the cave and he goes back out. And then David comes out and says, hey, you think I'm against you. You think I'm your enemy. I am not. I'm for you. I respect you. I've served you. You're my king. And here's an example of the fact that I will not take your life and I'm not your enemy. You were just in the cave and I was close enough to cut the hem off of your robe, to cut this corner off of your robe and I spared your life. We get a glimpse of this just at verses 12 and 15 in this passage. He's talking to Saul. He says, may the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. May the Lord therefore be judge and give sentence between me and you and see to it and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. David chooses to remain a faithful guy who will not compromise himself in the midst of one of the hardest situations he could be in. He could lash out angry, bitter. He could try to, try to solve things on his own but he refuses to do that. And instead, he entrusts his life into the Lord's hand. And what he's doing is he's trusting God to bring justice. He's believing that God will bring justice instead of him creating his own version of justice. Guys, this is one of the hardest things to do when you are being unfairly accused, attacked, you're in a situation you didn't ask for, 
I've been in many of those situations, and I usually feel like I have a pretty good idea of what justice would look like in that situation. (laughs) And unfortunately, at times, I've acted on that. Where I I know what's right in this situation, and I know what should be done here, and I'm I'm tired of being treated this way or going through this, and so I'm going to handle this myself. And David refuses to do that. He says, no, it's, it's for the Lord to bring justice. And so I'm going to trust him to deliver me. I could end it right here, but I won't. You've, you've sought my life multiple times, but I'm going to trust him to deliver me. What a cool story. And you would think, man, okay, surely Saul's figured this out by now. David's a good guy. He'll leave him alone. Two chapters later, two chapters later, 1 Samuel chapter 26 now. Saul's on the hunt again, going after David, unprovoked, threatened by him, and wants to take his life. And so Saul and his men are camping out in the middle of the night, and David and his men are right there, and he sees Saul sleeping, and he creeps up right to where Saul is sleeping and takes the spear out of the ground that's, that's like right there by Saul's head and picks up his um, camelback, his water jug, and picks them both up and heads off into the night. And when he's at a safe distance up on a hilltop, cries out, hey guys, you're not protecting your king very well, and wakes everybody up and reveals, I've got your spear and your water jug that were right by your head, and I could have taken your life. But he says something interesting. A lot of what he says in this passage mirrors what he said in chapter 24, but there's something specific he says that I think is important for us to talk about and acknowledge for us today. I want you to see this. So beginning in verse 19. Now, therefore, let my Lord the King hear the words of his servant. If it is the Lord who has stirred you up against me, may he accept an offering. So listen, if this is just, if I really deserve this, and you're operating on the Lord's behalf, bringing correction or judgment in my life, then, man, I need to make an offering to the Lord and see what I can do to make it right. But if it is just men, if you're unjustly pursuing me, may they be cursed before the Lord, for they have, look what he says, they have driven me out this day that I should have no share in the heritage of the Lord, saying, go serve other gods. They're actually running me out and away from the house of God and from his presence. They're telling me, get out of here. You have no part in our country. You have no part in our religion. You have no part with our God. Like the very people of God are the ones hurting David. This is the people of Israel doing this. Verse 26, or sorry, chapter 26, verse 23. David continues, The Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. I'm going to read that again. The Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord gave you into my hand today, and I would not put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. Behold, as your life was precious This day in my sight, so may my life be precious in the sight of the Lord, and may he deliver me out of all tribulation. There are times that the very pain and hurt and difficulty we are facing is directly from the hands of the people of God. I've watched this. I've watched people get get hurt or burnt 
by church family, church friends. They've been in a hard church situation. And it's, it's caused them to be rejected, to feel like outcasts, to be pushed out. And what's, what's been heartbreaking for me to watch is to watch people that I know who've walked with Jesus and they're not, they don't just have distance and separation from the people that hurt them. I watch them walk away from Jesus. I've watched them lay aside their relationship with God. I've watched them give up on the church altogether over wrong, over hurt, over wrong that was wrong. But David said, I refuse to do that. I am not going to associate the sins of man with God. I'm not going to project the sins of man onto my father. I'm going to choose to trust him anyways. And I'm even going to choose to look at the offending party and say, you know what? Before God, they are a unique person, an individual. Their life matters, and God needs to deal with them. And so I'm going to hand them over to the Lord, and instead I'm going to say, God, here's my life. I need you. Help me. Help me navigate this. Help me to keep trusting you. Help me to believe that I'm part of a larger church family and not reject the people of God. Lord, help me to forgive. And God, help me to still treasure this relationship. Listen, I, I pray I never do this, but I'm a man. I, I might hurt you at some point in time. I might let you down big time. You may even determine I, I can't be around that guy anymore. I hope that day doesn't come, but if it does, keep trusting Jesus. Keep trusting the Father. He's good and he's perfect in all of his ways. We blow it. People blow it. Sometimes unintentionally, sometimes pretty darn purposely. But God is good and God is faithful. And we can choose to continue to trust him and say, God, I'm looking to you to be my defender, yes. to be my protector, to be my rescue. Yes. I don't need to fight or defend myself. You've got me. And so, Lord, heal my heart and help me to trust in you. Let's not enact our own judgment on our enemies. Let's wait upon the Lord for his justice and his deliverance. I know what I'm talking about. I'm speaking from personal experience. Valleys are hard. Valleys that you didn't ask for. It's the hardest thing in the world. But God is with us in the valley. And his rod works to protect us. And he will deliver us. And in the long run, it, it pays off if we choose to trust him. You can go back and look at these passages. Saul never gets things right. And he never works things out with David. He, he kind of leaves him alone after this. And shortly, not long after, his death comes. But Saul's death comes. But Saul, the enemy of David, when these two interactions had stopped, 
Saul reflects on them. He talks about David. And he says, surely you will be the king. (laughs) Even his own enemy could look and go, a guy that will handle things like this. God's hand is on his life. Who we are, our character, it matters. And our character should be defined as people who, maybe I don't have all the answers, and maybe I don't handle everything right, but what I do is I trust God because he's for me and not against me. And he will rescue me and he will deliver me out of all my trouble. Amen? Okay, the second half of this sermon just became part two next Sunday. (laughs) So we'll come back and talk about another type of valley. It's one of those valleys where, where you're standing on regular ground and then you start digging yourself a hole and then that hole becomes a valley you're stuck in. But we're gonna look at what happens when the prophet Nathan shows up at David's door one day. Says, knock, knock. Hey, buddy, gotta talk. And David finds comfort in the rod of correction as well as the rod of protection. Let's pray. Jesus, I know that you know about this more than any of us. From the Garden of Gethsemane to the betrayal of a friend by a friend to a cross that you chose to bear and never earned or deserved. That was our cross. That was our place. God, we're the ones that have been enemies with God. And yet Jesus you purposely choose, chose to go outside the city. You chose to walk through the valley of the shadow of death because you're our defender, because you chose to fight on our behalf, to rescue and redeem us from our own sin. And God, you rescue us when we're living in the midst of others' sin when we're suffering and struggling because of what others have done wrong, you bring rescue. Jesus, would you help us to see your father this way? Lord, when life is, it's hard, it's difficult, we feel overwhelmed, we feel stuck. We feel surrounded by our enemies or by just life itself. God, I pray that we could remind ourselves of the truth of who you are and then reach out and talk to you like David did. That we would call on you and say, God, I'm afraid. Help me not to be afraid. God, thank you that I cannot be afraid in the midst of this difficulty because you are here. You will protect me. You will provide for me. You'll even correct me and help me get back on track. God, would you help us to live as people who are assured that your goodness and your mercy are going to be the hallmarks of our life and that it's a life that is going to end in ultimate redemption with you forever and eternity in your house. God, I pray we would become more and more familiar with you and with your presence 
God, that having conversations with you, talking with you about what's going on in our life, listening for what you might speak into these situations. God, that that we would practice hearing your voice and spending time in your presence.